Hard on the Dog, episode five. I'm Verity Hardcastle. You can find me at Verity Hardcastle on Instagram to follow all the latest shenanigans in dogdom. So joining me this week is a trainer and behaviorist extraordinaire, a lady familiar with the clicker and who can tame even the most unruly pups. This highly qualified trainer and behaviorist is the owner of Pooches Galore, which is based in my own hometown. She truly believes in education and keeping up to date with the latest research and findings in dog psychology and is pretty much as dog mad as myself. So welcome, Kim Grundy. Hey, how are you? <laughs> I'm really good. So I have a cup of tea. Mm. Coffee or tea? Tea for me today. I was going to have a gin and tonic and then I was like, oh, I just, you know, you just fancy a cup of, good old cup of Yorkshire tea. So I thought, no, I'll have a, have a tea. Yeah, I've got Yorkshire tea on the go as well. In Harrogate, you can't drink anything else. It's, it's, I think it's illegal. Blasphemy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay, so Kim, you, like myself, are enveloped in dogs for work, rest and play. So tell me about Pooches Galore. How did it all start and what sort of does your business look like today? So I have been running Pooches Galore for um, 11 years now. And I... I've always wanted to work with dogs. When I was growing up, I used to want to be a police dog handler. The flaw in that plan was I didn't really want to be a policeman or policewoman. I, <laughs> I just wanted to be the handler. And obviously, when you're kind of 10 years old, it all just you just think you can go and do whatever you want. Mm. So that that dream kind of never came about. Um, and then I went to we went to the same school, didn't we? And yeah. um, if you didn't want to be a doctor or a lawyer, like they were like next they weren't really that interested so saying that you wanted to work with dogs they were like I've absolutely no idea what to do with you so I didn't really I knew I wanted to work with dogs but I didn't I didn't know what to do so I left school and went and did psychology as a degree because I didn't really want to work (laughs) and I just thought I'll get to university I enjoy psychology I'll go and do that I find Mm -hmm. it interesting so I went off and did that still didn't really know what to do with my life and then I went through various jobs and got made redundant. And it was that, that was the turning point for me, really. I was already training in the background to do some dog trainer work. So taking some courses, shadowing some dog trainers. Um, but getting made redundant really gave me that opportunity to see what the world was like. And it was a very different place from when I was at school. There were dog walkers, dog trainers was, uh, were more popular. So I set up as a dog walker and did a little tiny bit of training to build up my skills. Um, and it just grew massively. I took on staff um, and built up and built up my dog training side, which is what I really wanted to work on. And then I had my little girl and the dog walking side. And I know there's loads of dog walkers who have kids, but doing the dog walking, the training, having stuff, it was all just a bit much with a newborn baby. So I yeah. sold the dog walking side of it and really focused everything on my dog training and behaviour side. Um, I got a master's degree in psychology and then I went and did my master's in animal behaviour and welfare. And just kind of, I, I'm an eternal learner. So I enjoy doing stuff like that. Yeah, you do. Yeah, I don't know what's wrong with me, Um, but I do enjoy the learning side of it. And I think that's part of the reason I really enjoy my job, because I get to work with people, I get to have happy dogs. And then I also have that kind of education side that I really enjoy as well. And I've just built and built and built on that, really. I think it's because it's something that you really enjoy. I don't. It's never tedious learning about a subject that you love wholeheartedly I think that's the thing and whether you're doing grooming or training um there's so much to learn and there's always new stuff coming out new techniques or Mm. um 
new research and I just find it fascinating so it's no chore for me to to do stuff like that really. So your job is probably a lot like my job working in the dog sector where you never you, you can never stop learning it's not yeah. a oh well I've you know if you think you've got there then you might as well quit. Exactly and I think that that is part of the problem with some people is that they get a, a qualification in dog training and then they think that that's it they're they're done and I think that that's a real disservice I think you have to continue to push yourself to be the best that you can be for your clients and for their dogs. Yeah I, I was going to say obviously because obviously with new findings studies seem to change all the time with regards to training canine behavior and with that obviously training methods need to be adapted yeah so how do you keep up to date with the latest findings so I do keep doing courses even um like not they're not basic courses but things that I've maybe not done before or looking at things from a different perspective um I'm always reading books I've gone I've got a huge library of books that I dip into um I'm starting another course on separation anxiety which because obviously that's a huge issue and I have a huge a great success rate with separation anxiety um but I still think if I just learn one thing from that course that helps one dog then that was worthwhile doing so I've always I'm always reading um I have alerts on my computer that tell me when new research has been published. So I am a bit of a geek when it comes to stuff like that. Um, And it doesn't always have to be positive reinforcement based either. I do keep up to date on things like um, the use of shock collars in training, because I feel like having the knowledge of all round of what everybody uses um, is really useful. I would never, ever use a shock collar on any dog, but I like to know why people use them, how they're used what cases so that I can build arguments against why you shouldn't use them so I think learning not just the stuff that you do but the stuff you don't want to do is really important as well and that probably helps you to be sure in the angle of what your training methods are so you know positive and you know successful yeah and then when I have people arguing me on Instagram which happens more often than you would ever imagine about just stick a shock collar on the dog and it'll be fixed Mm -hmm. I have strong arguments as to why that won't work or shouldn't be used yeah yeah absolutely backed up with sort of research knowledge yeah exactly exactly you're a working mum you've got a new puppy well not so much puppy anymore you've got spaniel what does a typical day look like for you Kim? Oh, it's 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 fun at the minute. So <laughs> a typical day for me. Um, luckily, my husband's a morning person, so he does the morning walk, and I get up, um, sort Alice out, my little girl, and then when she's at school, I work literally every minute until um, her after school clubs. My dad does a massive amount of helping out, so he picks up a lot of stuff for me, which is brilliant. Um, my days at the moment are literally back-to-back appointments. There are so many dogs that need trainers that we're inundated. So I work for six, seven hours teaching from baby puppies or even sometimes people before they get their puppy mm-hmm. right through to I do severe behaviour problems as well. So it's a very varied work schedule. I could be teaching someone how to toilet train their brand new puppy and then the next dog might be aggressive towards humans and I have to put a plan in place as to how to help that dog um then I walk my dogs and that's kind of my meditation time I tend to go off somewhere really quiet and just walk yeah. my dog before yeah. we're doing teas and everything like that yeah. and then in an evening I do admin and then we do it all again the next day 
Yeah, sounds like my day. Yeah, I just squeeze as much in as I possibly can in every single day. I wake up, do a list, and then I'm like, right, go. <laughs> I do a list as well. I have a list, and and I also write things on that I've already done just for the privilege of crossing them off as well. Oh my goodness, the satisfaction. Absolutely. I try. I have a. I have like a master list on my phone. You know, on your reminders yeah. thing. And if I can get that below thirty, I am feeling good. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm. I'm not on my phone. I am very old school pen and paper. If it's below mm. an A4 piece of paper, I think that's that's doing that's doing good. That, that's good. We're happy with that. And on a really really busy day, I like divide it up into subsections. Like yeah. what I need to do when I'm out in town. What I need to do on my computer. Like yeah. stuff I need to do urgently. <laughs> Yeah, exactly I'm exactly and if it's highlighted oh my goodness that's got to be done very first thing first (laughs) let's talk more on anxiety I seem to see a lot of dogs with separation anxiety seems to be really really common would this be uh, the number one issue that you think you come across with clients and for the listeners I know that it's not a one shoe fits all situation when it comes to these problems but what small steps can people at home make to really help their dog's mental well-being so if you'd asked me this question a year a year or so ago before the crazy that we've just had mm-hmm. I would say that separation anxiety was not one of my top things that I dealt with dog-to-dog aggression would have been much higher up the list however having had a year where we have all been in a situation where we could literally just get away with not leaving our dogs so if we're going up for a coffee at the minute you can take your dogs with you if um you're working from home so whereas people would naturally have been leaving their dogs on a day-to-day basis without really Mm. thinking too much about it that's all gone and our dogs have got very used to us being around all of the time now for some dogs Millie my spaniel she's I think she's having like a little party when we leave she's like oh thank god you know got some space can go and have a proper sleep but for other dogs they're not going to feel like that and they're going to panic when their owners leave and that is what separation anxiety is it's almost that the dog is having a panic attack when they're being left home alone and they don't have those coping strategies of what to do and how to cope when you're not there. Mm. So over the last year, the rise in separation anxiety cases has has grown so much. Um, And what I keep saying to people is we really need to get on top of it now. So if you're going back to the office in June, July, September, something like that, we need to be working on the problem now, not then because... Then to you make have, the small steps yeah, at exactly. a time, yeah. So just building up the amount of time, never letting them get to the point where they're freaking out on being um, home alone. So if that is literally walking out the door and coming back in and that's all you can manage or all your dog can manage, then that's where we have to start and we have to build it up really slowly so that they can build up the trust that you're going to come back. Mm. Yeah. The thing, the thing with dogs is um, they don't have what we call object permanence. So you're a mum you know there's a stage in your baby's development that when you leave the room they go they cry don't they they, they yeah. can't poop. and that's basically what happens with dogs but they kind of some dogs get almost stuck there and it's basically because when you leave they have no concept of where you've gone so you almost stop existing to them so whereas if I said to my husband oh, I'm just going to Marks and Spencer's which is our like local corner shop because I live in Harrogate you're so Harrogate darling (laughs) (laughs) like he has a concept in his mind of where I've gone what it what it looks like when you're there you know like you can imagine that whereas dogs don't have that so once they can't see you that's it they they Mm. freak out because they don't know that you're going to come back because you've literally 
ceased existing in their mind. That's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I know with my first dog that I had, my Doberman, she was an only dog and her separation anxiety was quite bad. So to the point, especially it got better as she got older, but to the point where if I even wanted to do a supermarket shop, I'd have to drop her off at my mum's house. I wouldn't have been able to leave her in my house because she would have got so distressed. Yeah. And even when she'd been left at my mum's house once, she broke through my mum's cat flap, uh, broke the cat flap, popped it off the door. It was uh, the door into the garage. It was one of those like hollow doors. Yeah. And she'd actually chewed a hole big enough so she could get, yeah. She was really bad. But we, the thing that really helped her was getting multiple dogs. I mean, this yeah. is probably the worst thing that other people, <laughs> yeah. so their husbands or wives want to know. But yeah. that's, that's really helped my dogs. So, yeah, so there is an argument for getting multiple dogs to help a dog with separation anxiety. The risk comes when... Um, those multiple dogs then also develop separation anxiety because mm-hmm. they all learn off the first dog yeah so it, I'm not saying it doesn't work because I know no, it but doesn't. we see this with fireworks don't we you've yeah. got a dog that's really nervous of fireworks right. they can oh, you get another puppy then it tends to push it. that yeah yeah so yes it, it does work in some it doesn't work in all cases it does work in some cases it is not my recommended <laughs> collect dogs yeah just have as many as you can fit in your house um, but yeah it does work but I would definitely suggest working through it more systematically so that they're less anxious overall yeah yeah well I think we were lucky with Lily she was just completely bomb proof yeah you would need that kind of very chilled like what she's just like, like what on earth is this dog's issue yeah go to sleep angel yes just relax yeah. Yeah, exactly <laughs> You must spot a lot of mistakes that dog owners accidentally make when interacting with their dogs when they're out and about. So, for instance, the other day I saw a lady, she was just having a drink, a a coffee or tea outside a cafe with her dog. And then another dog went past and a dog went absolutely bananas. Uh, But unbeknownst to her, I saw that while she was trying to quieten the dog down, she was really fussing it and stroking it and really sort of affirming that behaviour. And obviously the, that had zero effect in quietening the banana's dog down. Um, how do you change habits in dog owners where, I mean, this must be so hard, where they're instilling the unwanted behaviour, but totally unknowingly? Yeah, I think it goes back to what you said at the beginning. I'm a massive fan of educating owners. So I am not the trainer that's going to come in, tell you what to do and then walk away again. I like you to understand why, why we're doing stuff, because that way you're more likely to change your behaviour. Mm. So the one I see a lot of is repetition of keywords. So recall is a big one. The dog's off playing with another dog, having the best time ever. And then the owner just repeatedly calls them over and over. The name. Yeah. Their name. Fido come, Fido come. Come on, Fido, Fido come, Fido come. And then the dog eventually finishes play of their own natural choice, not because of anything that the owner's done. And then their dog comes back and they get put on a lead. So in that instance, the owner has told the do- uh, yeah the owner has told the dog that they can ignore them when they're called. They can just carry on playing, which is going to reinforce more than the chicken that you've got in your pocket. And when you do come back, that's the end of all of your fun. You're going back on the lead. So like that's a punishment. A really, that, yeah, yeah. Almost like, like yeah, like all the fun's finished. So the next time the dog's in that situation, they're going to be less inclined to come back because. A, playing is fun and B, being on your lead is less fun. I'm going to say it's not fun, but it's definitely less fun. So instead, it's trying to explain to the owner when to call the dog, 
what to do when your dog comes back and then they see the results from that and then they're more likely to change but it's changing habits and it, it is hard sometimes um, yeah I mean when you're out and about how do you bite your tongue sometimes you feel like just stopping and just say I know just have a chat just a yeah. really good chat I see it a lot with people walking down the street when I'm driving. That's the easiest one because obviously I can just drive off and I'm like, oh, I wouldn't have done it that way. And then I just kind of carry on my way. It is hard. I I think I've just learned over the years that um, sometimes if you go up and give unsolicited advice, then people are not going to. No, they're going to be bristly, aren't they? I tend to, if there was a recall situation like that, I would tend to just call my dogs once and they come bounding over and just kind of be like that's how you do it (laughs) smirk much (laughs) yeah exactly um no it is hard and everyone's got their own ways of doing things with their dogs and if it works for them well that's as long as it's kind yeah it's a bit like those situations you know in the the you know the hottest days in some way you see people walking their dogs and the other day I was dropping Luella off a drama and there was a woman uh running with a puppy and when I dropped her off at drama, I'd driven back down Panel Ash and she was still running with the puppy. You know, when you're like, Whoa. and it was really bothering me. I really wanted to pull over my car and just wind down my window and just say, look, please. Yeah. Stop. I remember a couple of years ago, we had that really hot summer mm. and there was a guy playing fetch with his dog and he had literally the, the tiniest pair of shorts on, no top, no nothing, playing fetch with his spaniel. And I was like, if you're that hot that you've stripped off completely and it was kind of hot enough to do that, I don't think playing fetch with your dog is the best the best yeah, time. And the dog's there with the tongue hanging yeah. out. I've had to say to walkers before who used to walk... Uh, my Doberman Angel because she was ball obsessed you know like to an issue that she will run for this ball until she collapses yeah you need to take the ball away from her after you know even on a you know just a a mildly hot day she would she would just go and go and go yeah you do have to be careful and I see a lot of dog walkers who will on hot days take all the dogs for loads of swimming which it's good because the water cools them down. But if you swim them for an hour, then that raises all of the temperature, just like being on land. So that's not an ideal situation either. I see that a lot on hot days where. Well, that's extreme workout, isn't it? Like hydrotherapy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it is hard to bite your tongue when you know. I mean, if someone was doing something particularly dangerous, I would probably intervene. But um, yeah, I'd bite my tongue and walk on. Yeah. Um. Now, this is a this is something I see this a lot. And obviously, one of my dogs is quite bad for this. She can be. She has shadow tendencies. She loves following me around the house. And she would even take a shower with me if she possibly could. (laughs) She certainly likes to watch me while I have a wee. (laughs) No toilet stops would be private unless I actually shut the door. So should owners be closing the door on their dogs when they're walking around the house? Yes, I think they should not. Only if the dog can cope with it, though. So if you've got a dog that can't cope, so if they've got separation anxiety and they can't cope and, they, and they're howling, whining, crying, being destructive, um, no, probably not. We need to build up to that. But I always say to new owners, when they get their puppies, try and get it so that when you go, the bathroom's a classic example. Yeah. When you go into the bathroom, just sprinkle some treats outside of the door so the dog learns. So when you go in there, good things happen to them when they're on their own. Oh, yeah, that's really good. Yeah, it's a really simple one. You can just have a little jar of treats there and you can just then build up the amount of time. And it's just a really positive way of introducing that kind of separation. Mm. Um, I I try not to have dogs in my office quite well, all the time, although Millie is kind of laid by my feet because she 
snuck in somehow <laughs> but she'll lay quietly unlike Stanley he would make a, a racket being in here <laughs> um, tail. yeah exactly um and his ears his ears are so loud I don't know why <laughs> but when he shakes his head it's like <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Millie's got bigger ears but they don't make as much noise um so I tend to have the door shut to my office quite a lot um I, I try and shut the door when I go to the bathroom because my dogs would come in they'd be like hi what are you doing <laughs> that down time for a stroke um but just trying to build up especially at the moment with being around all of the time building up that time when you are physically away from your dog is really useful but only if they can cope with it we don't want them to be distressed yeah oh no she's not she just she would rather just you know just follow me around you know what are you doing what are you doing yeah <laughs> Millie Millie does that and um, I think it's because in our last house our bathroom was downstairs it was like a weird upside down house mm-hmm. and so she just kind of got used to it so but yeah you work so hard on your business and on your business socials what are your top tips for anyone who has a business in the pet sector or thinking about starting one um with regards to social media yeah I mean you work so hard at your business I think that I think that it's paramount that you've not rested on your laurels you you don't stop do you whether it's education or yeah yeah. I I am a bit of a workaholic I I will work whenever I've got time and I'm not saying that that's necessarily the healthiest way but I do Mm -hmm. think if you're going to be self-employed in the pet industry as as a sole trader or or with a small team it's hard it's hard work and you have to be prepared to put the graft in because you're not just going to pick up clients easily you might at the minute because there are so many dogs but long term you're not going to have that um capacity of Mm. dogs with being a dog trainer it's all about well it's like being a groomer isn't it it's all about results you know if I wasn't getting results with the dogs I worked with yeah you wouldn't have the reputation yeah and it's word of mouth especially somewhere like Harrogate oh yeah our amount like you can't have a bad reputation here because you'll just you'll just go there's not enough um dogs to go around that won't know about it so getting a really good reputation being really clear and concise about the way you work so the way you operate so I am positive reinforcement I very rarely go anywhere else with my training um I'm very very much about finding the best solutions that are kind to the dog um and then willing to be a little bit I suppose I'm a little bit controversial sometimes I will put stuff out there that can start fights with people (laughs) because I there are some dog trainers locally that throw keys at dogs and who use prong collars and shock collars and I will not stand by well those old old schools you used to put stones in a coca-cola bottle or something and then like chuck it near a dog yeah exactly that still happens like you say old school yeah I'll get an inquiry this week and someone will have been advised to do that. Um, so I, I like to be very clear about promoting the message and uh, of positive reinforcement and why it is a better option over and above those. I call them old school methods, but they're, they're very much prevalent, unfortunately. With the positive training, which I'm massive, massive fan of. I mean, I have poodles, so any other way just wouldn't yeah. work because no. they're such sensitive sallies. Absolutely. <laughs> but now and again, I do need to give them a little, especially Alice. If she's on a walk, she can get ahead of herself if she sees a dog and I can see her attitude changing straight away. She puffs out a little chest like a pigeon and she'll do it, you know, and I'll, I just need to do it. Oi. Yeah. 
That's I see that's okay. What I what I would do is I would train it positively. So I would make the noise and then feed a treat. Yeah, yeah. When my dogs were hearing that kind of ah ah or oh yeah, yeah. Like they'd be like, oh, okay, and then they're coming back and again. And then they'll look for you for a treat. Yeah, what I wouldn't want. Could that possibly have an effect of um them associating that doing that behavior and then getting a treat though i would suggest what would probably more likely happen is the brain would short circuit and they go oh there's a dog mum where's my treat oh okay so positive circle okay that's really interesting what i wouldn't want is that you make that noise and then throw the rattle can at the dog Oh no no! Behavior, which is where my dogs would leave. My dogs would leave home. We're not dealing with this. Yeah, but some people do work like that, and that's that's not what we want. So we're definitely looking for those. How can we make these interactions better for our dogs, rather mm-hmm. than? And like, don't get me wrong. There are times when I you get frustrated and cross, and I'll say something, and I'll think I wish I hadn't done that, or wish I hadn't said that. But that's just human nature. We're we're all flawed, you know. I'm not perfect with my dogs. I tell them off, or I, you know. Yeah. Get cross with oh them. yeah. I mean, like, sometimes if I Lily, the little bugger, she <laughs> can spot fox poo from a million oh. miles away. <laughs> and she'll be freshly bathed. And I can see her, you know, when they're just intensely sniffing yeah. an area and they just turn their head to the Sold side. And I'll be like a banshee across the field. Like, Lily, don't you dare! <laughs> it is always when they've just been bathed or like if Millie's just been to the groomers or something. Yeah, it's because they, you know, they yeah. smell too good. Yeah. They need yeah. to smell more dog. <laughs> can I find a roll in that yeah. had fish somewhere on a riverbank or something like that? Yeah. Yes. Bit, bit of corpse rabbit mm. yeah exactly <laughs> so I'm not sure what your dms look like but mine are filled with dog related questions and I can pretty much bet that yours are too especially in your line of work so I thought we'd just be great to try and answer a few on this pod so a few quick questions how do you feel about hashing out some dog dilemmas with me Kim let's do it <laughs> So this is from Holly. She's from Harrogate. She says, hello, I collect my mini Daxi puppy in June. How should I introduce it to our cat? What's the best way? Okay, so I would work out in the house. So it's hard because obviously I haven't seen the house. But what you want to try and do is find a way where the cat has a space and the dog has a space. I would suggest for a mini Daxi puppy, a puppy pen would be ideal. Mm-hmm. And then you want to be rewarding the cat and the dog. So you're not just focusing on your new dog because you have to also reward the cat. I would use licky mats for the cat. They do a specific one that is for cats. Put some of their wet food on it. Mm-hmm. So the cat can be in the room and calm. The problem I see more with cats and dogs is that the cat runs and then the dog wants to chase it. So if we can keep the cat a bit calmer and a bit more subdued, then that will really help with the dog's behaviour. And if they don't learn to chase, then they can learn to cohabit better. So having the cat come in with something that they can lick or some treats if the cat... Yeah, that's a great idea, yeah. Not all cats take treats, but if they'll, they'll definitely eat some meat off a licky mat. And then rewarding your new puppy for that calm behaviour around the dog, yeah. uh, sorry, around the cat, um, so that they learn that when the cat comes into the room, good things... Don't jump on it. Don't go and don't chase it, basically. Yeah. Um, baby gates, anything like that. And then always allowing the cat to have an escape route. So 
Sometimes we'll install um, shelves or a bookcase or something so the cat can get out of the situation if it needs to and the dog can't follow. So baby gates, little um, shelves and steps for the cat so they can get up and out. Yeah, we got some floating shelves for our cat and then we just got some carpet and glued some carpet on top so she could and then had them staggered. Exactly. That would be perfect. Or if it was that the cat needed to get upstairs that they could get through a baby gate or they could get through the banisters or something. So always looking for that escape route for the cat as well. Um, But just lots and lots of positive reinforcement for the behaviours that you want to see. Mm. Um, So if your dog is just laying there calmly and the cat saunters through, reward that behaviour. A lot of the time, what we forget to do is when the dog does nothing and that's what we want, we just ignore it. We're like, oh, that was good. We're too focused on the moments when they're trying to leave on the cat. Yeah, exactly. So looking for those moments where the dog doesn't do anything and then rewarding that really highly. Yeah, that's great advice. This one's from Stephen. I hope you can answer my question. I've got a Springer Spaniel that pulls like a steam train on a walk. I've tried a harness and a halty and it doesn't help. It even makes his face sore by pulling so hard on the halty. And he'll pull even more from the harness. How do I stop this? Thank you so much. So uh, in my experience, there is no piece of equipment on the planet that will stop a dog from pulling if they're that intent. So you can literally go to every pet shop and try every harness. I don't think that there's anything that is going to stop the dog from pulling. If they're willing to make their face sore Mm. and to pull, there's nothing. So the only thing that there is is training and with spaniels it's hard work I have spaniels I've had springers and they are hard to train to walk nicely to heal um I it's it's, it just takes a lot of time practice and the way I try to do it with my clients is have two different almost settings for the dog so you have a training setting so that might be on a harness it might be on a collar And you do all of your training, all of your exercises, rewarding that heel position with the dog in that position, with the lead on the dog in that position. Mm -hmm. But then you also have a secondary lead placement position. So that might be the front clip of a harness. It might be a head collar. And you don't do any training at that in that mode. So you're going to do little tiny blocks of training moving. Yeah, that's so then it's not. You still need not to all the dogs, so it's not just constant. Yeah, exactly. So you're doing small amounts of training with the lead in one position, broken up by big chunks of no training with the lead. Yeah, in the- that makes sense. And then you gradually get those training blocks to be longer and longer and longer and longer, and the bits in between to be shorter and shorter. And then you should be able to get to a point where you're able to walk the whole dog in their training mode, but you're not doing training by that point. It's just- yeah, it just becomes second nature. Yeah, the problem with loose lead walking is consistency. Uh, it was torrential rain here yesterday. If you're going for a walk with your dog in that, you just want to get round and back. You don't want to be doing slow, drippy feedy of treats all the way around that makes a 10 minute walk take an hour. So mm. trying to find a way to be really consistent. And I just do it with lead position. Um, and that's the easiest way. And it's always really successful. So it's almost a bit like what they do with guide dogs. So <laughs> this is you better. working. This yeah. is you not working. Yeah. So they'll have different apparatus, uh, you know, yeah. you know where so the dog will be like I'm working oh no no now I'm I'm just being dog absolutely and if you ever meet a guide dog who isn't wearing their jacket you wouldn't necessarily know that they were a guide dog yeah it's just like a you know a normal crazy labrador or exactly well when we we used to drink sometimes in the same pub and there was a dog that used to come in there and it'd be 
you know, jumping up at the bar and yeah. and then when he was ready to go, harness went on and he was, yeah. Switched on. Yeah, it's yeah. exactly the same method- methodology as that. Yeah, amazing. In this episode's Breed Focus, we are talking all things Slovakian rough haired pointer. Very niche. Very niche. <laughs> Very niche. <laughs> As the name suggests, the Slovak originated after World War II in Czechoslovakia, which is now the Czech Republic. It's a large gun dog built for land, woodland and water. And it's meant to be a laid back, affectionate, obedient and easy to drain. Nicer. <laughs> Nice choice there, Kim. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. Let me um, <laughs> what are they like to live with? Are there any points to consider in owning this 25 to 35 kilogram energetic working dog? It's funny you read that description and I look at Stanley and I think, what happened? Is this you? <laughs> this is what I was expecting and look what I got. Um, he's ace. He is a fun dog. He's not easy by any stretch of the imagination. He's very quick to learn. Um, he is, when you said water, he is very hydrophobic. He will, he will not go. Like if he goes up to his like elbow, that's a good day in the water for him. Um, he's, yeah, they're a great breed. Um, there's not many of them around. They're very niche. It took me a long time <laughs> to find them. Um, Oh, I don't know why, to... why did why should you choose why Slovak? yeah why, why? <laughs> it's a question I ask myself I mean it's so good because people do need to be considering these rarer breeds because yeah. a lot of them are very endangered and without people buying these dogs uh owning these dogs and breeding these dogs they you know they do they will become on the critical list and they'll die out yeah they yeah that is a possibility so I found them at Crufts so if people have been to Crufts they'll be aware of the discover dogs section if you've not been basically it's very popular it's it's very popular it's not normally somewhere I end up I think I was just walking through to go somewhere else because it is just heaving and I know my dog breeds I don't really need to spend any time with them and I was just walking through and I've wanted a pointer for years we have spaniels so I'm used to crazy dogs point is just the largest crazy dog in my mind and I saw these dogs and I they literally stopped me in my tracks and I had to go and find out and I was sold them they lay by the fire they're really chill dead easy to train but then they'll run and they'll work and field trials and all of that and I was like brilliant get me one of these this is exactly what I want a dog that'll sleep by the fire and work perfect on Um, and off (laughs) on and off yeah Yeah. I'm used to spaniels they're just on so yes (laughs) So that was, and I, we waited years and I found Rebecca, my breeder in Wales. She's lovely. Um, and yeah, we got Stan uh, September 2019. So he's a little bit of a lockdown adolescent, which has thrown up a few challenges for him along the way. Um, he's not, he's quite an anxious dog generally. Um, so he does have worries in life, but, but he's a great agility dog field trials and retrieving not in his bones water (laughs) not in his bones chasing things no uh (laughs) if he saw a pheasant I think he'd run away from it um so he's not that typical uh pointer that I was expecting um but he's fun he's goofy um they look like they're goofy he is very goofy. Um, they look like it for people. So they won't know what they look like. They look like mm. a Vimarana that's got a really shaggy coat. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, he's just he's just going to need a bit more work. Um, maybe a Spaniel for me next time. <laughs> 
Well, to be honest, you I think with every breed, they, they you know, I don't know how you feel about breed traits, but I see a lot of breed traits with breeds, but within that breed, they're so different, you know. I work with um so I've got two of Stanley's brothers on my books at the moment, and they're they're completely different to Stan. Like they they don't have the rough hair either. They look like Imarana more. Um but they're completely different temperaments and they're from the same litter. So, you know, they are, I think because they're quite niche as well. It's not like Spaniels where I've worked with thousands over the years. So I've got like a general view of thousands of Spaniels and you can kind of pick out. Yeah. Sweeping view. Yeah. Yeah. I'd never worked with a Slovak before I owned one, just kind of worked with pointers and just took that knowledge. So yeah, they're an interesting breed. <laughs> <laughs> so the Slovakian rough-haired pointer was thought to be developed by crossing the Czech pointer with a German wire-haired pointer. To this mix, the Weimarana was added, resulting in this silver-grey wire-coated gundog, which is creating a gundog with hunt, point and retrieving abilities. Yeah, standing <laughs> in any of those three. You didn't get the memo about those. <laughs> as well as general working traits. Yeah, he is. he's good. Like, he's brilliant at agility he loves agility um so he that's we found his niche that's where he gets his mental exercise that's where he gets his mental. and he from a training point of view he's brilliant he's an he's a lovely dog to train he's very keen very enthusiastic um will do anything for food um which is always a bonus toys not so much um I do like to use like tuggy toys and stuff yeah yeah not so much with Stan he'll do it in the house but not not out on walks he just wants he just wants the chicken just wants the snacks yeah yeah so now we're near the end of episode five we're gonna round things off with a quick fire round so I ask everybody these questions I want really quick honest answers and no bull okay are you poised Kim I'm ready (laughs) so dog food of choice raw faith place to walk burnsell number of dogs under your roof two if you were a dog, what breed would you be? Um, um, oh, Spaniel. <laughs> Favourite holiday destination? Cape Town. Your worst nightmare dog breed to own? Ooh. <laughs> oh. I don't think I'm a terrier person. They're no. too independent for me. I think I like the neediness of a gun dog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're tenacious, the terriers, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. They're ace. They're just not for me. Yeah. That's a wrap. Thank you so much for joining me, Kim. We'd be so delighted if you gave us a follow on Instagram. I'm at Verity Hardcastle and Kim is at pooches.galore. Kim also has her own podcast out called The Happy Dog Pod, which is really great for a listen. You can learn some more great behavior and training tips from this as well. So thank you for everybody listening. And please don't forget to rate. Five stars would make my day and subscribe to Pod on the Dog. Much love.